0: Welcome to the Dig in Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now, here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of digintravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and welcome to episode 19 of the Dig in Travel Podcast. Before we jump, into my interview with Rui Pereira, let me give you an update what's been happening here at Digging Trail. Because some of you might be wondering why you haven't heard from me for a while. All is good, I'm safe and healthy, I've just been really busy with what became my biggest passion project. I'm talking about the Digging Trail Airline Digital Academy. We started with the Academy in October and it's really been an amazing experience for me so far. I'll share more about the Academy once our first group completes the whole program, but I wanted to share one other thing with you today. Because as things change every day with the pandemic and we are still on this roller coaster ride to unknown, my experience in the Academy really made me think about one thing. Now you'll ask, what is that? As we were working on different areas of digital and different digital skills, one question popped up in my head. And that question was, what is the most important skill for the future? Can you even know this based on all uncertainties? I think you can. In my opinion, the most important thing is what McKinsey calls intentional learning. At its heart, Intentional learning, as per McKinsey, is the practice of treating every experience as an opportunity to learn something. Rather than being something that occurs separately, the desire to learn should be an always-on, instinctive approach to everyday situations. Now, to be honest, passion for learning or intentional learning is not a skill, it's a mindset. And this is exactly the environment we try to create in our airline digital academy. The environment for intentional learning. Because nobody knows what will happen in 2021, how fast our world will change. We just saw some positive news with the Vaccine, but it's really just a tons of unknown at the moment. However, one thing is certain: if you are an intentional learner, you will be ready for whatever happens next. We are now in week four of our Airline Digital Academy and I'm truly amazed by how many curious people, how many intentional learners we have in the program. It's really great to see people be willing to learn, engaging, sharing their own experience and ideas with other airline professionals in the community. And although we all came from different continents, different religions, different backgrounds, there is one thing we share and that is the same passion for learning. So, I'm quite confident that with this kind of people in our industry, we'll be able to adapt and come out of this crisis stronger at the end. I hope you don't mind this intro to the podcast, but it's really something I wanted to share with you, with my digging trail audience. Now, today's interview will also be partially about this intentional learning. Rui Pereira, a longtime friend of the Digging Trail, is one of the expert contributors in our Digital Academy. He's also a director of product design and UX research at eDreams and former head of UX research at Ryanair. Rui is also one of the most passionate digital people in our industry that I know. He shared how UX research is really about learning, learning about our customers, and how to put customers in the center to do customer centric design. Rui shared his learning about UX and how they do UX research at scale with one of the Spain's biggest UX teams at E-Drinks. He also shared one mistake he made at Ryanair and what he learned from it and how he is applying these learnings now with his work at e-Drinks. If you want to know what this mistake was, please listen to the full interview and chat with Rui. Hello Rui and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast.
1: Hi, East talk. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, welcome. I've been basically waiting to do this talk for a long time because we cooperate on some of our past researches. And as we were just talking, it was mostly written, but uh, it's great to talk to you live in person. So really excited about this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you. And again, thanks for the opportunity. Like you said, we, spoke, we, we, did, we wrote a lot to each other in the past, but we never spe- speak, so it's going to be a good opportunity.
0: So before we start, I think uh, we cannot go past the pandemic and what's happening. Maybe last year, how did the pandemic change your job uh, in UX and uh, user research and digital product?
1: Well, as you can understand, it changed a lot because, uh, one, a lot of companies went bust on the travel industry because they couldn't cope with what was going on. Uh, And second, obviously, it has an impact on on our side as well as being a no TA because it changed completely uh, the behavior on the travel industry. The traveler behavior now is completely different than it was before. So now there was a lot of research and and a lot of knowledge uh, that I had, for example, while working in Reiner in terms of user behavior uh, that now uh, is a little bit disregarded or completely put into the bin during the pandemic because customer behavior is completely different. Now you need to go at it again, conduct research, trying to understand what are the main pain points right now within the customer journey um, and then try to act on those on those new behaviors on those new needs that we have and you can see that across the industry every time you go to um to OTAs or airlines they're all betting in terms of uh, reassuring the customer reassuring the customer that if you are goes go to some place you can you have information here for you to take a look and if you do if if you cannot travel we we'll give you some other uh, opportunities so i think there's a lot that's been done now in the industry People are, um, uh, the airlines, OTAs are catching up in terms of research because you can see, like I said, you can see it live, new features and functionalities coming into life in a daily basis. And this means that they're actually doing the the proper thing, the proper research.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the change in user behavior and people's behavior, a lot of new, completely different fears, friction points. Exactly. I probably is a rhetoric question, but (laughs) would you say that uh, user and UX research is now even more important than before?
1: That's, that's a very big question, a very broad question. Now, UX research was, was always important, always important. Obviously now, because there was a big shift in terms of behavior. And like I said, a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that we knew from the customer, uh, now they don't make sense. So we need to, because let me give an example. Before, probably customers were more prone to price, about inventory. Uh, Do I have enough, for example, airlines to travel to this destination? And now it's not only price, it's not only inventory. You need to take a step back and add to the pile COVID. And how how are you going to manage this COVID situation? And this is where research now comes in. How can we mitigate those problems? How can we help um, the customer uh, customer throughout his customer journey uh, until he... As the first trigger, I need to book a flight until he gets home. So going back to your question, research was always important. Yes, maybe now uh, more than ever, but uh, research was always important. Um, for, for me, and one of the things that I've learned from a while now is uh, research is the safety net for any organization. Because if you conduct research, the likelihood of you to have a better outcome a better output, therefore a better outcome, is going to be much higher. Without research, we're just talking about hypothesis on hypothesis, and if we just put stuff live based on hypothesis for, for, for sure the the ROI of having a research in place is not going to be um, um, successful for sure. Uh, so mm-hmm. research is very important because you need to understand what are the user needs the user behaviors, especially now in, in, this, in, in these times.
0: No, I agree, and I like the term safety net. We use a different term similar. When we teach in our digital academy about uh, the importance of research and testing and the concept of de risking ideas. So, to de risk ideas, basically not guessing, but basically really evaluating them properly through understanding, through research, and then testing them through experimentation. It's like you said, like a safety net. And I think during this time, where especially airlines and travel companies cannot take an uncalculated risk, I think this concept of the safety net and the risking ideas is really important.
1: Yeah, exactly. You you, you said something there about testing. Obviously, testing is very important, but testing comes in um, and maybe you already have this mentality of CRO optimization. Test is important, yes, but there's a lot of things that we should be done before, uh, even before the testing phase uh, appears. Um, there's a lot of upfront research that you need to do even before to get to that stage. So, and that's why it's so important to actually speak to your users, speak to your customers, because more likely you're going to achieve your business goals if you do that. And there's a lot of the times, and you see a lot of companies. I, luckily, I don't, I never work in these companies, but I see, I, I speak with colleague, research colleagues and design colleagues, and they, they suffer a little bit that uh, stigma of. Uh, um, the main stakeholders make decisions based on their beliefs, on their assumptions mm-hmm. within the four walls of their office. And that's 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 um, a recipe for a for, for catastrophe. You have to go out of your office. You need to go and speak with your customers. Those are the real people that actually are booking uh, and using your website. Without them, like I said, it's all based on, on assumptions. And that's why uh, on my team's, I always use the user-centered design methodology because you, 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 you can't you can get it wrong. If you focus, um, if you put the, the, the user in the middle of the design process, for sure that in the end the product is going to be much better versus just based on assumptions, let's put it live. And then if it doesn't work, we always have time and money for the company. So that's why, yes, testing—we should always do it. It comes later in the design process, but there's a lot of things that we should be doing before to mitigate the risk of doing uh, of doing uh, of doing something wrong. And that's where research is fundamental, especially on my teams. Uh, they are fundamental within the design process, and that's why they're so embedded um, within the design process and within everything that product does.
0: What you say? I think it's a it's a trend that we see also in our research. Uh, I think that, let's say, growth hacking and conversion optimization and things like that emphasized testing and experimentation even too much. So what we see in our research is, for example, when we ask airlines about the most popular user research methods, they were talking about analytics and testing, which is not basically research. They are validating. And the concept that you say that you need to do a lot of things before is something that we see that the best experiments are the one where the effort, a lot of effort is done in user research. So you build good hypothesis and you understand your customers. And by this, you increase also your win probability and some learnings. Otherwise, if you're just A-B testing based on guesses, even if you win, you don't learn too much.
1: Exactly. And take it, if you don't have these learnings before even designers, for example, start doing their, start going to the design process, if they don't know what are the user needs, what are the user behaviors that you need to cater for, what are the user pain points that you need to solve, if they don't know any of this, what are actually designers doing? So it it makes no sense because if you don't have research, what's going to happen is it's going to be a top-down decision. And this is also very hard, which comes with a lot of problems adjacent to it. So, uh, but let's not go into that road. Let that road. <laughs> but, uh, but you're absolutely right. For me, if you don't if you don't practice user-centered design, that, that's a big problem. And this is where research uh, is so important for for, for uh, an organization.
0: The second concept that you mentioned, and I think it's also interesting, is that yeah, that stakeholders do a lot of decisions based of either on assumption which is bad or only on data and i talked to anna potaina she was she's working on cro and user research at google she was talking about nielsen norman group concept of data fetishism that yeah the higher we go in the higher he more stakeholders talk only about data lesser less they see real user research uh, qu- let's say, qualitative data, real user struggles.
1: Yeah, exactly. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying, and obviously you're not saying as well that data is not important. Data is super important. But the problem is, like you said, people are acting on the data. You don't, but the problem is we need to try to understand the rationale behind the number. This is where the main findings are. This is where you kind of, you're going to find um, the, the real problems. Because if you have a number, what, what is the number going to tell you? Obviously, the number will tell you something that will lead to an hypothesis. But when you actually investigate it, do some research, okay, this is interesting. There are 60% of people not opening this email. Okay, let's uh, hypothesis. And now let's try to understand from research what we, what we, what we can do to understand the real, what the real problems are. So, and this is why you're absolutely right. A lot of people are investing um, on analytics, uh, on all of those type of data, on numbers. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Um, and they don't, they don't understand the rationale behind them. And then they create a hypothesis. They put it live. It doesn't work. It's no surprise. So the research there is kind of to narrow more the focus in terms of, okay, from all of these hypotheses, we conduct research. And now either we narrowed down to one or at least or two. And now let's act on it. And, and, um, and that's it. And then let's see how it goes. Because like, it's, it's very important. Because you don't understand the root problem if you don't okay. understand the Russian, rationale behind the number.
0: And now, let's say, you, now you at uh, eDreams, you have a director, role of, uh, director of product and design and user research. So how do you talk to your fellow stakeholders? How you can make sure that, let's say, user research is also exposed on the top, let's say, director, stakeholder level? How do you communicate? How do you do user research stories uh, So to add to the numbers that they usually see? Because most people are usually just um used to see reports and uh, and tables and figures, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so basically again I'm very I was very lucky in Reiner and I'm very lucky, but maybe I'm one of the luckiest ones. <laughs> I was very lucky in Reiner and I'm very lucky on eDreams because they really understand the, the, the need of having a research team and they, they do know they do understand the power that a research team has behind behind a business. So in, in that sense um sometimes Sometimes we have to be a little bit reactive and sometimes the need for research actually comes from the top, which is amazing because they do understand the value of it. Uh, But that's the reactive part. But then sometimes on the proactive part, which is where we down in our level at the product and product design level, we kind of investigate and do some research around, uh, I don't know, it could be flights or accommodation or whatever. And it's just a matter of, Putting a meeting in the calendar, sometimes with the CEO or the CMO or who are Coo, and present them those findings. They always they are always very happy to to learn to see what are the learnings out of research. So in that sense, I don't have a lot of those problems. Yes, they look at the number sometimes, and not not sometimes all the time. They look at the numbers, but then they're intelligent enough and smart enough to understand. Okay, this is fine. We do understand what the problem is. We do know there's a problem here, but now we need research to tell us. What the actual the problem is, so we can go and fix the problem. So in that sense, I, I, I'm one of the one of the lucky ones.
0: Do you show, let's say, a, a user interview video or a, a usability test video to a CEO and to check for the ah moments, or it's just more, uh, let's say, summarizing reports kind of a thing?
1: So basically, there's one thing that I'm really, really, really lucky in Dreams. So we have a usability lab in house, a really good one. Um, and sometimes, uh, or not sometimes, um, before COVID, when you used to bring a lot of customers once a week to the lab, we used to do a lot of tests, and you have an observation room, and you used to bring the main stakeholders to it for them to observe. Because one thing is them observing and looking and looking at the customer, the pain points they're suffering to go through from A to B to C to, in order to finish the task, and another one is me just blabbing away and let them know yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a fancy report, oh the user had problems here, here, and there in a couple of bullet points. So before COVID, this is how we kind of solved the problem. But now, obviously, we don't have the user lab. And uh, obviously, that didn't stop research to continue to do uh, research. We found ways and new innovative ways to do it. Um, And one of the things that we did was actually acquire one of the tools to do remote user testing. So what we do is, obviously, we have to put everything in a report. As much digestible as we can, and we always attach the the the, the main videos with the main findings, so they for, for them to see if they want to and if they need to. So that's how we kind of kind of eliminate or mitigate the issue of not having the lab uh, because we're all in lockdown currently.
0: Great, I saw some of the things uh, from your. Usability Lab, and I think it's great to have something like that in-house. It is. Because it really empowers everything you need to do, so you're really agile. And then, like you said, user research and UX research can be embedded in everything you do. Exactly. Going back, do you see that with the pandemic or because of the pandemic, the type of user research that you do change? So, for example, do you do more exploratory research compared to before, where you would do maybe more evaluated and try to iterate and optimize the existing things you do?
1: I think the methodologies probably now are a little bit different because we just need to look at the objectives that or what we're going to get out of it and then define the methodology to tackle those right Um so that was pre-covid and and in COVID, and it will be post-covid as well so but now um because of COVID, you cannot bring people into the lab you cannot talk with people in person face to face now everything needs to be remote and we needed to adjust adjust in order to do those things those things remotely so, um, yeah, we just found new ways to do it. We just found new ways to do it. But, it's just, for example, instead of doing in the lab face-to-face or moderated, we had to either do it uh, remotely moderated or remotely remote unmoderated moderated, uh, or for example, we used to do uh, interviews in the airport, for example, and now we can't because uh, we cannot go to the mm-hmm. airports. There's a lot of uh, there's already a lot of people on it. They don't need more people to go to it, so um, we cannot do that. But we find other ways uh, of doing remote interviews, for example. So the methodologies, in a way, kind of stay the same. It's just the way we do them. We have we have to we have to um, to change a little bit in order to get the same outcome and the same output out
0: of them. As you said, you need, to understand, you need to adapt, you need to especially now leverage the remote methods as much as possible. Yes. One of the things that we talked about in the past and one of the interesting things that you did back in Ryanair is you try to do especially this unmoderated user research at scale. So try to a little bit democratize the user research. So not having a centralized research UX team, but empowering product teams, product managers, um, product people to to do user research on their own. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? How can you do that? And what is important when you try to do this, so go from centralized to, let's say, more democratized, decentralized uh, organization?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. and I, I can tell you a negative experience and I can tell you a positive experience. So, for example, okay. when I was in Ryanair and when I was the head of research over there, um, obviously there was this, uh, we, were, we were only four, design, four researchers for, for a big, for a big, big team of designers as well. So, in, and we have constantly a lot of people asking for user testing, for user interviews, a lot of stuff. And this is ac- exactly where you want to be. You want to be in this position where everyone looks at research and acknowledges the power of research. So obviously, um, these guys will come to us and say, look, we need to do user testing. And at the time, everything was centralized in, uh, in the research team. Right, um, and we got to a point where we had to decide. No, look, we need it's time to democratize. It's time to empower designers and other stakeholders to either conduct user testing, to either conduct user interviews, whatever it was. Obviously, they would still need to come to us. We helped them to c- do creating a research brief, outlining the best methodology, getting the samples for them. But then they would go and conduct the the, the research. So. If I give you an example, maybe when I was in Ryanair, when we were trying to democratize user testing, we thought, okay, it's fine. Everyone kind of we thought everyone kind of knows how to conduct a, a proper usability test. So let's <laughs> open the tool that we have today and let's give recommendations to these guys and let the start them start do let them start do the their own usability test. So this was a big mistake. was a big mistake because uh, obviously and that's a problem when you say democratize. This is really nice talk about democratize but research um, it's very peculiar. Not everyone has the sense of it. Not everyone has a degree on it and very quickly if you have if you do the right methodology but if you apply it incorrectly like bias the user leading the user for your answers every finding is is going to be useless. So the problem that I was going to was I was Looking at the, all the the, the the user testing, not all of them. The, the, I had a couple of designers that really, really understood how to do and moderated remote testing. But some, some, when you go through the test, and you can see Jesus Christ, this is kind of this is this is exactly what we don't want. We don't want to lead customers to get to where we want them to be.
0: So it was like confirmational bias. The people trying to use the research to confirm their uh, their decisions and their change. Exactly,
1: exactly. So that didn't work very well in the beginning, and obviously we need to we need to co- we coach them a, a little bit, and things got better. So my strategy here on now on eDreams is it's the same thing. So we we um, at the moment we are only one four researchers. Um, and you have a team, you have a team of, um, of around 30 UX designers, right? So it's one of the biggest, it's, I think it's the biggest uh, product design team uh, in Spain, actually. And now, obviously, it comes to a point, we need to democratize. Okay. So now I'm going to apply, let's apply the, 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 things that I did wrong in Reiner and let's start, <laughs> on, let's start on the right foot. So the right foot is the research within the, I'm very lucky we have an amazing, amazing set of researchers in my team on eDreams and they, the guys come up with the, with um, with the document, with the process of what needs to be done right Uh, very clear for example before you start any any research uh, user testing for example you need to get the objectives high level low level per page Uh, there's a lot of things involved and and now we're teaching designers Because these guys are going to create workshops before we leave them. It's a little bit like letting your 18-year-old son out of the house. It's a little bit the same thing. First, we're going to teach them how to use it. And then we're going to let them do with our supervision in the first couple of tests. And then for sure, it's going to be learn and go. But it's very important. Now we have a a really structured way of process of doing it. The guys are going to create workshops per team of how how to do it. And then it's learn as you go. I think in this way, it was working much better in Reiner when I adopted that strategy. And for sure, here in Egypt is going to be the same thing. Because I do have a lot of designers that they do are, have a lot of knowledge in terms of create, doing user testing, for example. Not all, but I, kept, I have a couple of them that they already do it. But the other ones, they need to learn. So this is the way we're kind of democratizing.
0: Is there... A- now that you look back, okay, things that you learned at Ryanair, and now you do in dreams. How would you compare the difference between, let's say, doing a digital product, doing UX design, doing UX research for an airline or and an OTA now? Especially, airline has a lot, also the physical part, the physical product, very traditional mindset, a lot of operational things compared to OTAs that are digital native, so digital only.
1: Yeah, that's a very that's a very good question. Um... I'm going to reply to you as a researcher, uh, almost. <laughs> um, it, it's much more. Uh, how do I? What's the right word? Um, it's much more challenging to work on an OTA than it is working on an airline on my line of business for sure. And why is why is that? Because of all the constraints that we have on an OTA. OTAs they don't have their own inventory. So eDreams, all all eDreams and all the other ones, um, all the other OTAs, they don't own the planes, right? So, but the airlines do, and because we don't own the planes, we don't own the accommodations, we don't own any any of that. We there's a lot of constraints attached to it, and surprise surprise there's a lot of constraints there's going to be a lot of pain points if there there are a lot of pain points that's where the research and the design comes in to try to solve them so that's why I think it's much more challenging um, in terms of product in terms of working because an an airline has some other uh, challenging points as well obviously but OTAs has much more challenging points because uh, all the inventory and all uh, Mm. then you need to cater for people that go direct customers that goes through Meta. So there's a lot, there's a lot of things very different. They're very differently uh, from, from airlines.
0: Uh, I worked for OTAs, let's say on OTA projects in the past. And I agree. You have a lot of more, the brands are not so uh, much known. So you have to explain, build trust. And also, like you said, uh, explain your role as a reseller, basically. But what I see with uh, eDreams, especially, and we use it in a lot of cases in our uh, workshops, you embed some great design elements by which I mean uh, visual design elements in your, during your, let's say your booking funnel, your booking flow, when you book select, when you choose additional options uh, to do this, to explain and build trust and remove friction points. Yes. Uh, is this, uh, to me, it's, uh, it's, from the outside in, it looks really uh, structured and planned. Uh, how does this look in practice?
1: You mean all the small optimize, all the small slash big optimizations that we do throughout the funnels?
0: This is one thing, but I also, what I see, what I think eDreams does really well is using like visual designs, like icons, like uh, small, uh, small pictures or small, let's say uh, visual designs to, to get these messages across. Because a lot of, for example, with airlines, what I see in Booking Funnel, still a lot of text, a lot of, let's yes. say, small print or a lot of technical language and copy. Yeah. not even talking about the visual design. Yeah, the,
1: the, this is something very important and a, a lot of times uh, main stakeholders and I don't have this problem in eDreams, but main stakeholders typically they are all against the uh, white space or negative space whatever you want to call it or icon iconography or so because they, they try to squeeze everything in the viewport of the customer in the page um and that carries a lot carries a lot of problems because customers cannot digest or read what's in the page when they're scanning through the page uh, very well versus having the right amount of white space, having the, uh, an icon that breaks the page a little bit and creates a visual barrier to kind of prompt the customer to look immediately at the text because you're absolutely right. You just put a chunk of text there and um, the likelihood of someone reading it is it is it's slim to none. And we need, we always need to try to find these retailing techniques in terms of, okay, we need, we really need to send this message across. The user really needs to stop and read. What can we use to do that? And that's where it comes white spacing. That's where it comes, um, iconography and a lot of other techniques that we can use to make sure that the user, when he's scanning the page, because you know, everyone knows in the industry, in the e-commerce industry, at least that customers, they don't read. They scan they scan pages in z in z and then when they find something that they like they stop they read maybe the first part, the first line and if they didn't they don't like it they move on to the next one so we have a really short span of time to capture the user's attention uh, for a specific blog and if if it, these are the small things tricks or, or uh, retailing techniques, whatever you want to call it. This is what we use to ca- capture the attention. And you're right. Um, on eDreams, we use a lot of icons. We actually changed them for a while now. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's the same objective. Make the user stop and read um, the, the products that we have and try to entice them to buy more products with us.
0: No, I, As I said, I liked a lot. And uh, I think it's uh, one of the better uses of this in our industry, at least.
1: Yeah,
0: thank you. Rui, at the end, let's do some more, let's say, not structured, more. let's say rapid-fire Q&A questions.
1: Jesus, now no, I'm scared. Now I'm
0: scared. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like them. we don't have to answer.
1: Be, be careful what you're going to ask me. <laughs>
0: the first one is, maybe when we were talking about different, let's say, failures and negative and positive stories from the past, do you remember a case when, let's say, the research proved you wrong? Did it happen to you that you thought one thing and then the research completely uh, proves completely different things?
1: Lots of times, look, there's lots of projects that you have these, these assumptions, these beliefs that something is going your way, and suddenly it, it's completely the opposite. It's something like, oh my God, how is it possible? And the funny thing that we used to do back in Reiner um, a long, 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 long time ago when I joined Reiner, every time I used to, we used to do some user testing, um, for one father or the other. We actually would make some kind of uh, not bets because we didn't gamble, obviously, but kind of people saying, look, I think the A partition is going to win. Oh, I think the B partition is going to win. And then it was always a surprise. Sometimes everyone will put their bets in, in, in per type A. And then suddenly when the results would come, come back. Prototype P, there you go, that's your answer. And so we have loads of good croc, a lot of good croc uh, doing those types
0: of things. Do you have any funny user research story? What was the funniest thing that happened during user research? Let's say user testing or interviews or things like that.
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple of them. One of the most um, one of the things that we used to do a lot in Ryanair um, was to go to the airport and do interviews at the airport with our actual our customers. And there was and so, sometimes there's, there's this misperception or this misbelief that everyone hates Ryanair because you know how it is. It's very easy mm-hmm. to Ryanair to be hated, but when you actually go into the field and you speak with customers and you talk with them, they just they they. It's, there's just there's a lot of customers that just love Ryanair and uh, there's a, a customer actually told me something that I cannot hear say here uh, because there's a, a couple of things that I cannot say but uh, <laughs> honestly I, I just laughed and laughed when he said it because like Jesus Christ this will be a great slogan for Reiner but we can't use it it would have to, use, to be for ever, over 18
0: maybe um, you should try it still with Michael really. I think no, <laughs> he might no, 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 no,
1: nothing to do with Michael it's just to say like uh, how great and amazing Reiner there was for them, obviously. Not everyone is the same. Some like, some hate. But there was a, there was a specific customer that actually said something so funny, so funny that I cannot replicate here. But it was really funny. All the airport interviews. You always, when you approach someone to speak, you always go a little bit. Mm. Uh, is is he does, will he want to talk with me because I'm Ryanair? But uh, typically they all they will all uh, love to speak with you because they knew the more they give you insights, the more we would make the platform better. Therefore, they would gain as well. So it was really rewarding to do it, and there was uh, some crazy moments and funny moment, moments like that one. <laughs>
0: okay, what's uh, your favorite UX research method, your personal one?
1: Um, not. F- Favorite in terms of me conducting, I'm not saying that's the best research methodology. So I, I want, I just want to make it very yeah. clear. Uh, but for me, the one that gives me more pleasure in doing it is remote and moderate testing. Because um, I think there's pros and cons in doing it. For example, pros uh, is um, the, you you have a very quick turnaround. Every time you, you launch a, a test in 20 minutes, you have the the output. But then the, the, there's the the con, which is uh, you cannot in- intercept customers at a specific time and ask them and probe a little bit more about. Okay, tell me more about this. What you said. Tell me more about the action mm-hmm. that you just do. So for me, and moderate is amazing because uh, I have to try. To replicate moderate in unmoderate. Sometimes it leaves, it takes to a craziness of uh, ending up with um, 20 tasks in a usability tool and then you have to trim it down. But for me is, uh, it's the challenge of how can I try to replicate as much as I can a moderate test? on an, and moderate tests. So for me, that's why it, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. But again, I'm not saying it's the best methodology to use for everything. There's pros and cons like in everything in life.
0: Okay, no, no, I agree. It's just interesting to hear, like I said, everybody has some personal preference and something that try to then do. But I think uh, what you said for agility and especially skill to do fast and especially now that uh, that is quite useful. Okay, maybe at the end, I also see uh, I also saw that uh, you are uh, enthusiastic about sports handball if i'm not mistaken right yeah and that you used to teach kids what we do in our academy is yeah, to teach people uh, ux is there any parallels in teaching what what is the best way to learn if you learn, I don't know, about sports, or if you learn about UX and UX research,
1: um, maybe to go back a little bit to what you said, I, th- I think I take I leverage a lot of my learnings from my bachelor's degree in. Um um, in teaching, because when you get to a role when you're a manager, a lot they're very connected. The way you explain things, the way you kind of come up with uh, with strategies to make to, to make your uh, direct reports to grow. Uh, so I think it, it's it, it's very it's very connected. Now going back to your question, what uh, about sports or learning sports or, or UX. UX? Um, I think that uh, in terms of sports, uh, a lot of the uh, the stuff you you learn by, by watching and on on ux you also can do that but you also have to read a lot and you have to and that's why you have the academy as well and and the the way you teach those things to those guys um uh, you have to come up with a a lot of kind of um case studies case studies are super important because it does no use for you in your academy to just go and talk for an hour about research methodologies and how can you use here, how can you use there. But look, real case scenarios, real life scenarios. That's where it's going to be very powerful for your students to learn. So, and try to always frame it: there was a problem, and this is how research helped to to, to mitigate that problem, and that how um, after the design team how they how they handled the situation and how the output and the outcome. Of that output what they were so that that's really important if you have case studies uh, for the guys like this um i think the learnings are going to be uh, much quicker versus just uh, theory because you know practice sometimes is much better than the theory they will need to know some theory but when you put things in practice it's much better
0: yeah no, know this is why we try to incorporate this learning by doing like you said exactly first check the theory then see some case studies, how some solutions were solved by using it, and then let's try to do it in practice now. I agree.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, Rui, this was great. Uh, thank you for all the insights, and I hope uh, for better times for our industry so we can go back to airports to <laughs> do the research there, not only travel, and do some great uh, new digital things at dreams.
1: Exactly, and uh, look, uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity once again, and um, really well done on everything that you're doing. All all the, the the amazing reports that you put on LinkedIn, all the all the good stuff, and the podcasts that you release on LinkedIn as well, and all the and all the um, the survey outputs. So it's all amazing, and it's obviously it's benefiting a lot of us that are on the, are on this industry. A lot of us are leveraging all the all the the insights that you put on, on LinkedIn. So really well done. For that
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rui. And thank you again. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: This podcast is supported by PROS. Are you looking to optimize revenues across revenue management, retail, and distribution? With more than 30 years of experience and a legacy in the airline industry, PROS provides AI-powered solutions that optimize selling in the digital economy. PROS customers, who are leaders in their markets, benefit from decades of data science expertise infused into our industry solutions. If you like this podcast, check out Pro's podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Pro's website. Or visit the Resource Center at Pro's.com to access our special COVID-19 edition webinars and blog posts.